Kenny Garrett, and you're listening to Preachers, Pastors, People in the Pew, and today we're going to talk about ministry. I'm here with... I'm Jason Johnson. I'm James Bowling. I'm Jim Hartman. And I'm Mark Van Hoos. Mark, we were the five people that are gathered around the table today, uh, four of them called to preach. Mark, uh, you were called pretty young, I guess. Yes. Tell us about that. Well, uh, you know, when given my testimony about ministry and and speaking about the Lord, it's it's always hard to know exactly where to pinpoint to start because the Lord blesses us and He blesses me. He has blessed me in so many ways. But before I get to the point where I felt and answered my call to preach, I just want to say that I was blessed by the Lord to be raised in a Christian home, have parents who were Christians. My father, he was a a preacher for a time until some health conditions set in, and then he wasn't able to take care of the ministry anymore. Uh, But the Lord has blessed me with them and, and grandparents, grandfathers who were preachers as well, and they have always been a highlight of my life. And uh, Brother James Hartman, he's always been a a mentor to me and taught me many things in the ministry as well. But I can go back in time to remember being a really little boy the exact age, I would say seven, eight years old, somewhere around there. And I remember sitting at a desk and opening a drawer and pulling out this little, I guess you would call a handheld Bible. And as I would look through it, I felt a deeply close personal connection to it. Like I knew that the Bible, the scriptures, the very word of God was going to have some effect in my life. Didn't quite know at that point, being at a very young age, but as I grew older and I was around preachers and my family, I began to feel that that pulling, or if you want to call it a calling, towards being grounded in the Word. And I felt it very strong as God was speaking to me as He wanted me to be an individual, a messenger of His Word. And so I believe it was at the age, I want to say, of 15, 16, when I had finally answered that call to preach. I remember this being about '04, August of '04, And I uh, attended a little church here in the community and I felt the calling so strong, but I didn't quite know how to handle it, what to do or who I should talk to. So at that time, I went and talked with our pastor, and he assured me, uh, as best as my recollection is, of the calling of God. And he was very supportive at that time, and Brother Jim was in the picture as well, and he, he was a great guy to me. So I answered the call to preach, I believe, August 11th, 2004, and I believe it was just a week later when I was preaching my first message. Now, how old were you at that time? I want to say 15, 16. So tell me about the call of God on a 15-year-old's life. Like, what does that look like? Right. And that, that, I can say, is a whole other discussion in itself, but as I can recollect, as I can recollect or I recall my memories, I remember being in church and seeing the pastor up preaching, and I felt a very, a very vivid. Oh, there we go. 
Mark is not cooperating with our equipment here, <laughs> and he, he's uh, dodging the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I remember at that time uh, sitting in the church, and as I watched the pastor preaching, I felt a resemblance, if you will, like I could be up there, I should be up there, the one preaching. And I don't know if that is easy for everyone to conceive and understand. But that is how, that is the best I can recall what the calling of God on me at that age was like. Well, it, is it, because you said that you, you felt like you should be the one up there preaching. It's not a uh, thirst for the limelight. Because no. I know you. I know that's not what you're talking about. Right. It's not that at all. So how does it feel? Can you put it into words? Uh, that, that is a very hard thing. To put it into words, I'm not quite sure. It was a thirst to feel, not to take the pastor's place, of course, but I, that I should be up there serving in a, in a ministry context to the church and the people of God to really put it into terms of what it's like to describe. I really don't know how myself to do that, except that I couldn't get anything else. I couldn't get it off my mind, and I really couldn't focus on anything else. It was beca- it was like it became an all-consuming, all-encompassing thing. Now, did you have the same thing, Jason? How were you? When I felt the Lord first calling me? Yeah. I was 14. Okay. And... Um, I was in high school. I was actually beginning to dabble into drugs a little bit, and uh, but yet my mom took me to a revival, and it was during that revival was the first time I actually felt the power of God, and I ran like crazy. Um, I didn't necessarily know at that time that I was called. I didn't even know what that meant, but I'll, I'll never remember that that was the first time that I felt the presence of the Lord. And the Lord do a work in my heart. I'll never forget going forward to the altar on one of those services. I was 14 years old and just crying my eyes out and couldn't figure out why. And uh, I was just the, that was the Lord beginning to pierce my heart. Right. Well, what what about the calling? What Mark's describing? Did you experience the same thing? When I I, I did. Um, of a sort, when I began to feel like the Lord was calling me, I also felt like I had a, I felt like I had a story to tell and that I wanted to tell everyone that I knew how good the Lord was. And so I also felt like I needed to be up there now, not as a chase for the limelight, but that I knew that the Lord saved me out of what he saved me of so that I could tell others. What about, uh, I'll pose this question to Brother Mark. What about the, how do you, so you're 14, you guys are young. When you talk to Brother Jim, who else, who was the, because Brother Jim wasn't the pastor. You're talking about. Uh, no, it was um, Jim Step. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was it Jim Step? Yeah. So when you tell them this, what are they looking for to affirm that in your life? 
I feel I feel that's kind of a hard question to answer in terms of their perspective. But as I look back, I feel that they were looking for a sincerity of heart, not just, uh, oh, I think I want to do this sort of, of uh, task. But I feel that uh, Brother Jim Stepp could see at that time it was something really sitting upon me. And he, times previous, I had told him about my life, so he knew a great deal about me. And he could see how I was getting into the Word and reading the Scriptures. And I honestly feel that from my own testimony and then coming to him at that uh, said date, I believe that was a confirmation to him. So what if uh, a 14-year-old guy came and told you he was called to preach? What would you look for in his life as affirmation now that you're old and wise and learned yourself? Right. Well, to start, I would go back to having the, uh, looking for the assurance, kind of like what I would imagine Brother Jim Stepp looked for in me. But also, I would look at the life and, and character of, of the individual, the the man or the person that was standing before me saying they were called to preach. And I would look at their character and try to, I don't know if measure is a correct word, but is what they say and what they do is it lining up with the scripture. I believe that's the foundational step to understanding when someone is called into the ministry. So if we look at that, uh, is there pre, do you feel there's prerequisites? Like God calls this type of person, but he doesn't call this type of person. Well, that's, is anybody that, disqualified? That's kind of, of a twofold answer because we know what the... Well, as the church, because I, you know, I know everybody around the table, uh, but as the traditional church stands, when they look into the life of here's two 14-year-old kids, one's Jason Johnson, one's Mark Van Hoos, Mark's qualified, Jason's not. Right. He's too wild. Right? <laughs> but Mark's good, so Mark's qualified. Jason's not, and that's how we go forward with that. Um, now, we agree, as we said here today, that that's probably not the case. But why is it not the case is the question. Is my answer hey, that one? Anybody that's got an answer, yeah. Well, if, if I'm putting an answer out, I would, I would begin to say to look at a life that this person standing before you to understand that they've been called into ministry, the first thing you have to see, regardless of who they were or who they have been, is they're a changed life. Because there are individuals, uh, some in the church have given their testimony about being into drugs and, and other things that you know we would call a reckless life or a hazardous life, and others that have lived a, a much quieter life, if if you will. So it all it is all dependent on the individual. But we must remember what the scripture teaches Jesus as he was on the earth. He went to some of the most vilest individuals and he, uh, as he was before them and they sought him for cleansing and for forgiveness, 
He didn't do a judgment call of how worthy they were. He just went to them and at their faith, he healed them and told them their sins were forgiven. And if you take that character of Christ in the Bible, I feel it is very opportune or necessary to have that kind of, of an outlook on an individual. How has their life been changed in Christ, the testimony they give? If I might jump in here at this, at this moment of time, we, we look at how, how the, the, the Lord looks upon each, each one of us, all of we who are sitting here around this table at this moment. God looks at us, and you know, you know how God really knows you and I, Jason? Brother Katie, you know how God really knows you and I? He knows us by our heart. Right. And when we, when, when we see a young man that's been called into the, into the ministry, uh, it, the, the heart will uh, really expose him for what he really is. Mm -hmm. And for, for when the man's heart is really in it, you can rest assured that God has called. Now, in my experience, and, and when, when I first started out in the ministry, I was confused. I didn't know what to do. There was nobody there to help me. And all I could do was just look and watch it and learn and, and, and trust God. But see, when, when I was called out, and, and I, I believe I testified the last, our last uh, uh, opportunity we sat around the table, I talked about how that my first year in the ministry, Jason, was, was such a miserable thing because I just didn't know, didn't have any guidance, any help, didn't know what to do, didn't know which way to turn. And, and, and when, when I got to the place where the calling got from my head down to my heart, and I really knew that God wanted me, that's when I was able to. Yeah. That first time I told you I got up to testify that the Lord would, that I felt the, uh, I was mistaken in my calling, that's when the Lord opened me up because he knew that my heart was sincere. And we look at people today, and, and I know that each one of us has experiences where we've had people say that the Lord had called them to preach, but there was no fruit, there was no evidence, their heart was never in it. They were just looking for something to, you know, to uh, magnify themselves. But you see, when you get to the place, you see an individual, uh, and, and it's always been, and Brother Kenny, you know, and Mark especially knows, I've always, throughout my ministry, when I really got settled into the pastoring and, and things of helping young, I've always had an urge and a drive and a need to help young preachers who said that they've been called uh, to help them to learn and to how to serve the Lord. And, and you see, when you, first, when, when, when you see the sincerity there, that sincerity only comes from the heart. And when you see that and you know then you, you need, and we, as we said here, Jason, Kenny, Mark, myself, as preachers, we need to do everything that we can today to help those uh, young ministers who said that they've been called into ministry. We need to help them and, and really search out and lift them up and encourage them and do everything that we can. But the, the, but the way to identify it is how the heart is really into the calling. Yeah, I would agree with that. As somebody who was uh, a little dirtier than most, my heart was still after the things of the Lord. And I had preached my first message six weeks after getting out of jail, about 90 days after being saved. So how old are you at that point? 29. Okay. And I was still 
I, w- I wasn't necessarily willfully living in sin, but I was still dirty from the lifestyle that I had been living for 17 years. And so I was trying to grow in the right direction, and I was. The Lord was, I, I was growing, I was, I was bearing fruit for my life, but the fruit that was required of me, if you compare it to the fruit that was probably required of Mark, was probably different. Because I was such a dirty fish, I took a lot of extra cleaning, right. if you will. And so I think that if we get into this person has to show this characteristic and this characteristic and this characteristic, oftentimes we can be too judgmental because it's a case-by-case basis. Right. So what one person's called out of, the other one isn't. And, but the other one's called out of something different. And we could all be bearing fruit in different ways and bearing different fruit and, and growing. We grow at different speeds. And so I think your answer, Jim, was, was spot on that it's a heart. It, it, you, it, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Right. And so when we begin to talk to people and we listen to them and we hear their story and we truly begin to hear their heart, then when we hear what their heart is and we partner that with prayer and listening to what the Lord is sharing about that person to us, then I believe we can effectively minister to others and allow people to step into their calling and help guide them and help lead them accordingly. But if we don't, if we don't bathe it in prayer and we don't listen to the person's heart, if we try to judge each person according to the person before them or after them, then I feel like we could all miss the mark. So you take, uh, we'll get a, a little bit further into this. So you feel the calling at 14. You don't preach until you're 29? Correct. How do you deal with God in between 14 and 29? I ran. Right, <laughs> but is there, is there, how do you process that in your mind? Because obviously you run, you you end up just like Jonah. You're right. not listening to the direction of the Lord. But how does that play out in your everyday life? Well, I um, I got really involved in drugs and alcohol to numb it. So I really began to, um, as I ran, I ran. I ran hard, I ran fast, and I ran as far as I could possibly go. Right. To try to get away uh, from the conviction that my heart felt. To try to get away from anybody that would try to tell me I was living wrong. Uh, It was my goal... So when you begin to use drugs, for me, and I've found this to be true for a lot of people, when you first begin to use drugs, you use it for the euphoric feeling. But after a while, when you really get into drug addiction, after a while, you use to medicate and numb your emotions because you become ashamed of who you are. And the only escape is to get high again, to put another whatever your drug of choice is, to put more of that in you, to lose the feeling of what you've become, to numb yourself and to escape. And so I, for 17 years, I, I ran that way. So 
when you when you run, how much of your thought process, how much of your uh, is God playing into, let's say, the daily thing? Is it is it a daily struggle? Is it something that came up once in a while? Oh, it was a, uh, it was more than just daily. Uh, so I had a uh, crack cocaine addiction, and I would be awake three to four days straight, sleep for. 10, 12 hours and be awake three to four more days straight. So my day was not like a normal person's day. My day was literally 24 hours. And during that 24-hour span, I prayed more lost than most people pray saved. It was all, My heart was always towards God. I loved Him. I didn't want to live the way that I lived, but I didn't know any other way. Right. And so I would always pray. I mean, I prayed... Heathen prayers, I prayed repentant prayers. I prayed God help me get more drugs, if I'm completely honest. I mean, that's how lost I was. Right. You know what I mean? That's, you know, uh, God, just just help me numb this. Help me get more drugs. That's a, that's a prayer of a very lost man. Right. But I prayed. I was always seeking the Lord out. Often, every day, every time I'd get in a vehicle, Lord, help me get there and back safe. Help me, protect me. Don't let me die today. Don't, you know. And uh, so I prayed. I, I literally feel like I prayed more lost than most people pray when they're saved. Now, Mark, your testimony's not the same, right? It's different, of it's course. It's a little different, right? You're, uh, but you're, I see so, a lot. So you're 14 years old, and you're processing a calling, and you don't react the same way. Right. What, how is it like, because what you guys are describing is uh, Jason's talking about a, coming from a place that's far from God right? and being called to preach. You're coming from a place that's near to God uh, because there, almost everybody around you is a Christian or claims to be a Christian. Uh, so you're processing things in a very different manner. Do you run as well? Or do you feel the calling and say, okay, Lord, that's what we're going to do today? Right. Uh, no, that is not the case at all. You know, while I can say that each person leads a very different life and the fruits are born from that life, yes, I had grown up close to God, but at the same time, when I really began to understand what that feeling was from God and understand His Spirit as Him speaking to me that He wanted me to carry His Word— it was not a instant, okay, let's do this sort of thing. It was a, oh, no, this can't be right. Uh, almost, and I, and I hate to say it this way, but this has to be a mistake. I don't feel called to do this, in the, or not called, but I don't feel like I can do this in the least bit. And uh, to this day, I can't recall the exact amount of time that passed. But in a sense, I ran from God calling me to preach and to carry his word. And I would say at least a year, maybe longer, maybe a little bit shorter, that much of time had passed when I felt a constant spiritual heaviness is the only way I know how to explain it. I could not go on about in my life without getting back to God. Yes, I was going to church every Sunday. I was, being a teenager, I was into youth youth group or youth events and things such as that. I even went to the summer camp. 
But I was always running from what I felt God having me to do. And uh, so I would say about a year passed, and the date I mentioned, August 11th, about a week leading up to that day, I can really say I think that was the most I ever prayed in my life, at least up to that point. And uh, when that date came, I decided, well, God, I feel this is you, and I'm going to go talk to the pastor, as I mentioned before. And so I talked to him and, and Brother Jim Stepp. He, I believe, I mean, he would have to speak for himself how he felt as I talked to him. Uh, but as I spoke with him and he knew my character and my conduct, I answered the calling on that day. Uh, if I remember correctly, after the service, he had me go in front of the church and announce it in a public manner. How, how did the church react? Uh, Kind of quiet, I think. <laughs> uh, let's see, uh, 15, 16 years have passed and, you know, memory fades a little bit. Uh, so, you know, the congregation was pretty full at that time. And as I announced it, there was some, I would say, some stern looks, some accepting looks. And uh, I could re be remembering this incorrectly, but I think after it was all said and done, there was even some clapping, if you will, uh, which was something entirely in itself. But overall, I believe the church was very accepting because... As I sought God that whole next week, leading up to the service and my first message, you know, as you can imagine, I was as, as nervous as can be, never having done it before. And you stand up there in front of 40, 50 people. Uh, and, uh, you know, just from there, the Lord's moved on me and blessed me in different ways. But it, it all started at that moment. Well, I have a very kind of an in-between testimony between Jason and between uh, Brother Mark. I grew up in church. My earliest memory is actually in church. I can remember wearing some this red hat, and I'm certain it's still around the house somewhere, and I can remember it bothering me under my neck, like there was a strap on it. Uh, it had some Velcro, and I can remember that Velcro uh, digging into my neck and bothering me and moving it years later go you know years and years go by and I find this hat and the hat is extremely small it's like you would put that on a four five six month old child there you know there's no way that I wore that hat as a toddler you know uh, it's got to be somewhere still around the house I may bring it to church tomorrow if I can go home and find it and, and you can find you can see and that's my earliest memory that I have. So and I and it's in the church. It happened in the hallway there on Woodley Road. I can remember that. So the church growing up to me, the uh, in my life, the church has been like a third parent and an only child. Uh, it's played that role in my life. And uh, when I was little, the old ladies would sit on the back pew. And we had one that sat in the corner, uh, Sister Gent, and she would lean over and whisper to Granny that I would do the, the Lord's work, whatever that meant, uh, is what Sister Gent would say. So whatever the Lord had called uh, me to do. But they, they wouldn't say that to me. It wasn't a uh, pushing. 
from the church or the congregation. Uh, so, you know, years go by, church was a weekly reminder. There was something worse than school. Uh, they, Mom took us there every Sunday. Uh, if you didn't go to church, you couldn't go out and play or anything like that. It was the same rules with church or with school. So if you said you were sick or whatever, um, you know, that wasn't, you didn't get a choice. You had to go is where I'm going at, go, getting to. Um, I turn about 16 or 17, and I start uh, going on my own. I start attending Wednesday nights, some Sunday nights, that sort of thing. Uh, there was a new minister there uh, who was, I guess, being taught is the best way, kind of being mentored by the pastor that had been there for a while. And I remember him preaching a sermon, and I knew enough to know what was right and what was wrong. So in this sermon, the, the new young preacher uh, says, and I'll never forget it, if your son wants an earring, ask him if he wants to go to hell. And so I lean back in the pew and I think, well, that's not correct. You know, that's not in the Bible. I don't have an earring. I don't want an earring, but this is not biblical, and I'm leaving. I'm not going to sit here for this anymore. Uh, I'm going to show these people what I think, and I will never come back in this church again, ever. And I leave. Uh, when I leave that afternoon, I embark on just a criminal lifestyle. I don't feel that I have a real uh, drug addiction testimony, but I was addicted to drugs. But that wasn't my problem. I was addicted to being a criminal, if that makes sense. My favorite thing to do in the world was to gamble. I like to play cards and, and do that sort of thing. Uh, from a carnal aspect, like if, if I'm being my own boss and my own God, that's what I spent my time doing. And all the things that go in with that lifestyle, it's not just simply, uh, uh, you know, you play some game for money and that's what you're doing. It's a whole lifestyle that comes with that. Then comes the drugs and the drinking and uh, all, all other kinds of wild carrying on. So I go out and do that, even though I feel the calling as a small child. It's a pull and a draw to the things of God, to talking about God. Uh, you feel as if you're not doing something right. when you're not heeding, uh, when you're not answering the call of God. So that's where I'm at. I go out into the world. I am my own criminal self for years and years and years. And finally, I come to the end of where I'm at. Uh, I can go no further on my own power. I realize I'm lost and undone. But I know the way home. And that's where how my upbringing in church helps me. It doesn't get me any closer to God, but I know how to get home. I know the way, I know what I need to do. So I do that, and I show back up at the church. I do think it's worth noting uh, that I've pastored both churches I said I'd never go into again. Can you tell me how hard it was when you went back to the church the first time? Well, the, most of the people had changed. So uh, there was a lot of people that had died off uh, or wasn't attending. It, it is small. Brother Jim was there. I didn't really know him at the time. And there was a handful of uh, elderly ladies and Gary Rogers 
who were there, and they knew me, and I can't say also that they were rooting for me while I was out in sin. They were still praying for me. They still had hope that the Lord could save me uh, and that sort of thing. So so when I came back, there wasn't a real a scolding or anything like that because they had been waiting for it. They'd been, they'd been praying. So I think that's what we find a lot of times is that the people of God are there waiting for us open arms. But for me, I came back and I was ashamed. Oh, yeah, I was too. I didn't want... I didn't want anybody to know what I'd been out doing, you know. So how did you deal with that, that shame? Uh, well, I, I hid it. I mean, I, I did what any human would do. Right. I, I tell this story a lot in sermons. It's your, you're the, the key player in that. We had a little bit of a, some kind of event. It was some kind of dinner at the church there on Woodley. And I'm there, and the uh, Lord saved me. And things are going well, and some people come from the neighborhood come in, and Jason tells them, you know, tells them his testimony, and he says, Kenny's got a testimony that's very similar. I'm like, hey, buddy, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, don't tell them that. You can tell them all about you. That's your thing. But as uh, far as they know, you know, I'm the Reverend Kenny Garrett, and this is who I am. I've always been this way, and uh, that, that's fine. But there, when we don't talk about that, we keep praise from the Lord and act like it's something that we've done. And so that's the time I really it took me a couple of days to get over it to think, you know, Jason's <laughs> right. I should be telling this more often, uh, telling this to everybody who will listen, because the Lord done a wonderful thing in my life. You you wouldn't want to be around me. You didn't want to talk to me. You didn't want me in your house or in your yard. Uh, I was flat out a criminal. If I could uh, jump in here just for a minute. We talk about these things, and you fellas talk about your youth and, and your relationship with the Lord and how in an early time in your life that you knew that the Lord had called you to preach. I was uh, somewhat different, and if, if I can just take a minute or two to explain this, uh, as I had, had testified before, how that uh, when I was a young fellow about five years old, every Sunday morning, my two sisters would get me by the hand, and they'd take me down to a little church and every Sunday morning. And Jason, I never missed going to church, not one Sunday at all, until I was drafted in the military at age 19, and then I left. But you see, uh, I, I knew about the Lord. I mean, there wasn't uh, anything that you could say that I didn't know about him, uh, about, how his, about his love his mercy, his forgiveness. I knew about those things, and I knew about him. But, you see, things just didn't really work. They just didn't come together till I got to know the man. And as I said so many times, there's a whole lot of difference in knowing about somebody and knowing the person. Now, people will be listening to this, uh, as we sit around this table and listen to this conversation, they say, well, you know, I've got to know a little bit about that person. But, Brother Jason, unless they've never met you, right. shook hands with you, sat down and talked with you, they might know about you, but they really don't know you personally. And see, we always, right. and like Kenny said, you know, don't be telling people about my past. <laughs> don't be telling people about my past. Well, my past was one that was very 
Barry, right, I did not get saved until I was 28 years old. My, life was, my wife was ready to divorce me. Our children was going to be raised in a broken home. Our fifth child was about to be born, and she was ready to leave me when that child would be born. But the Lord came on the scene, and then I met the man that I knew a little something about. And then that opened up a whole new field. And the, and the closer I got to this man and the more that I knew him, the closer I got to him, the more I knew about him, the more he knew. Well, see, he already knew everything about me, but the more I knew about him, I began to know what he wanted of me. And then the calling came upon my life. I, I was saved in 1971. The calling came started working on me about 1972 and 1973. I announced my calling, and I got up and fell flat on my face because I failed to trust the man that I knew, you see. And you can know, you can know Jason, and then, but if you really don't trust him, he can't help you. I know Kenny, you know, if I knew Kenny, and I, but if I really didn't trust the man I knew, he couldn't help me. Right. You see, I knew, I knew Mark, you know. Uh, I, until Mark got to know me, he couldn't really trust me. And that's the way, and then, then when the calling, then I began to trust the Lord. But don't, that first year, as I talk about being so, so miserable, was because that I failed to trust the man who had called me, to trust the man that I knew. And then when I got to where I could trust him, then I let him open up, see, the, we as ministers, we can't do it ourselves. That's right. We have to let the man who called right. us. Yeah. Work through us. That's yeah. what he called us for, that he might use us to convey his message, not ours, but his message to a world that's lost without Christ. So let's say that there's somebody listening right now, Jim, that feels like they've been called and they stepped out into their calling and fell on their face. What kind of encouragement could you say to them to get up and keep chasing? When you use that term, fell on your face, what, what exactly are you guys talking about? Yeah. It was a failure. I'd get up to preach the gospel, and I would say three words, and I'd have to sit down. Three words, and I'd have to sit down. I, I just, you know, and, and people looked at me, and, and then I heard those whispers. Hey, don't you think maybe Jim has missed his calling? Do you think that God has really called? But yet I knew it deep in my heart. I knew. But what it was was I wasn't trusting him and letting him do the work. I failed every time that I would get up. And finally, as I said again, that time that I got up and I was sitting two, uh, two pews back from the front, my wife and children were sitting there with me, and I stood up to, give it, uh, to say that, I felt like I was mistaken in my calling, and the minute I started to say that, I started preaching <laughs> because I got myself out. I admitted that I was the failure. It wasn't the Lord. And God, uh, see, the, the gifts and callings are without repentance. That God is not sorry that he called you, brother. That's right. That's right. He's not sorry. Yeah. He's not sorry, Kenny, that he called you. But you mm. see, but what, but what it was was, Myself, I wouldn't get self out of the way and trust the man who had called me and do what he called me to do. So, no, go ahead. So do you feel, this is probably a twofold question, 
and you can maybe answer it in one answer. Do you feel like either A, you stepped out and started to preach before you were ready, or B, that you just needed a mentor that could have helped you step in in time, and you just lacked that? Or what do you think went wrong? Well, see, see that, that, that was one thing, as, I, as we were talking earlier. I said there was, there was no one there to help me with the ministry. I didn't know the first thing about it. I knew the heaviness. I knew what was I knew that God had called me, but nobody. And, and, you, and I had to sit back and just, uh, just consider myself a total failure. Because that one thing, I wasn't deep enough in the studying of the Word. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't uh, tell somebody, preach to somebody a, a message unless you know what the message is. Right, right. And see, that, that, was, that was one of my problems. But when I finally got myself out of the way, and it, yeah, the, the mentoring thing, yeah, that, that's why I'm so, so determined to help every young preacher that I know. And Kenny, we've had a few come here that said they were called, you know, since right. you and I have been working together right here in, right. On, on Vine Street. And I try to reach out and help those fellas, but you know, if, if they don't want the help, you can't. You can't right. do it. But right. but uh, I never had that, and that's why I was so determined that when a young man tells me that God called him to preach, I'm going to do everything that I can possibly do to help him get off on the right track and go forward for the Lord. But see, those two things were lacking, uh, and 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 then then there's this thing of. Self-confidence, you know. you got to have confidence in yourself when the Lord calls you. you got to have confidence. I mean, he has confidence in you. Right. If you don't have self-confidence, you'll never get the job done. And that's right. where I kept failing. Yeah. Right. I believe we all come from that standpoint because even though our testimony, each of our own testimonies is different when it comes to the ministry, I believe each minister has to realize it's all about depending on God. Yes, it's good to uh, sit down and you can write out some thoughts and what you want to say, but to really do the work of the ministry as the Lord calls you, it takes the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And I myself, I wanted to give this testimony because Brother Jim is. Uh, Brother Jim Hartman, as I mentioned earlier, served as a mentor to me since near that day that I first answered my calling, the exact time I can't recall. But because of him and a few others, I had the mentoring that was necessary that helped me alone next to having the Spirit of God with me. And there was no greater blessing than that. So, as we sat around today, one of the one of the things that divides churches in our communities, and one is an earmark of a traditional church, one is the earmark of a contemporary church, is how much education is required of the ministers. And generally, as you look into the churches that surround us, uh, most contemporary larger churches require more college education, seminary, that sort of thing, more formal education. Um, Smaller traditional churches tend to frown on that. Uh, they, I've had people say to me, you wouldn't require seminary. And my response to that is always, we require that they learn. Right. Right. Uh, and the, Jim often talks about this, and I've always viewed it. 
as an old time type uh, master and apprentice type relationship where right. uh, the older minister or the more seasoned doesn't have to be age wise older, but the more experienced minister mentors the younger as an apprentice, shows him what to do. Uh, so how much has education played in your ministry? And Mark, you cannot say anything until we've all talked. I have a lot to say on that one. <laughs> right? So what about what about you, Jason? So as far as education, what has it served in my ministry? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I'm I'm I now have a few college degrees, one from a uh, a uh Bible college, one from I have a associate's degree in communication as well as a second associate's degree in psychology. And prior to any of that, I was preaching. I right. pretty much did those because I wanted to. I felt like they would help it would help me in life, but I didn't even graduate high school. I got a GED. So as far as secular education, I guess we could call it or even theology uh, uh theological seminary or anything like that, I have zero. I had zero when I began to preach and uh I don't I personally don't believe that it is required. Um the requirement to preach is the call. Right. That's Jesus didn't have... I agree. <laughs> Jesus Definitely. had no uh, seminary degrees, you know. But and, uh, I, I, I agree with that, but there's always among ministers a thirst for to know more. Right. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and however you find that, I think that uh, seminary and those things can be useful. Absolutely. Uh, I think... Um, you know, finding a mentor and an apprentice type relationship. I think a wise person has all that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they, they seek more formal education. Even and it doesn't have to be tied to a classroom. There's a lot of options online today. Uh, there's a lot of options with uh, self study, and that's really what I'm talking about when I right. mean more education. Yeah. However you go about that, you know, whatever. Right. I believe uh, it's very key. A call to preach is a call to prepare. And how are you going to prepare? How are you going to prepare yourself? Your, your, the message from the Lord, you, you know, you've got to be studying. You've got to be preparing. You've got to be learning more. And uh, I definitely agree that education is it's something that you need to have. Um, I, I always try to, uh, of course, I have my daily reading and all of that. But I love to learn. And I also have a mentor. And my mentors change. I seek out different people for different times to try to meet with them, have coffee. I have coffee with a uh, pastor, a pastor named Jason Bowman, uh, every Monday morning. He just walks with integrity. Uh, I like the way that he lives his Christian walk. And about a year and a half ago, I asked him if he'd start meeting with me and mentoring me. This brother's two years younger than me. Right. But there's just something about the way he walks his Christian walk that I want. So I asked him to start having coffee with me and even mentoring me because, you know, and so it's kind of turned into a, we're there for each other now that we know each other. 
as iron sharpens iron, right? Right. But I, I definitely agree. I think we should always be studying to learn more. But I heard somebody say that you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, I want to make sure that I'm spending time with people that are walking in the direction that I want my life to look like, as well as pulling people up to where I am. And so at that time, I began to seek out relationships with other people that I felt like were going the same way that I wanted to go, if you will. Right. Now, I myself uh, sought after some formal education, but once I got far enough into it, I didn't complete it because I saw what we were doing and I saw where my life was going, where the Lord was taking me. And I realized that I kind of gone as far as I needed to go to get done what I needed to do. I may return to it someday, uh, you know, who knows what the Lord has in store for us. But I sought out something that uh, was a little non... I never hear anybody in churches talk about it. I'd never heard about it until a friend of mine took me there. It was Toastmasters, uh, which is an extremely secular organization, but it works on public speaking. And the idea was that you practice your public speaking on people that agree to be practiced upon so that you're not practicing on these poor congregations out there somewhere. You know, <laughs> while you're learning to do this, you're you're with a group of generally professional people and they're agreeing to be practiced upon. And I was a part of that for many years. Uh, I'd say 10 years. Uh, I recently stopped going, but I'm, I'm going to start again. And I've always tried to get Mark to go. Mark has never willfully went to my knowledge, right? You should. Yeah. It's fantastic. I need to check on that. And I, Mark asked me one time, he said, why haven't you ever delved into uh, Greek and Hebrew? So if you listen to my sermons or hear me preach, very rarely do I talk about Greek and Hebrew uh, roots or words of anything. My answer to Mark was because I have you, <laughs> right? Why do I have to know all that when we've got you? Because Mark is highly educated in all things biblical and somewhat secular at the same time. And if I could uh, just jump in here now, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back a few years now. I'm 68, degree, uh, 68 years old. <laughs> 68 I'm 68 years old. <laughs> and and my, my wife is 66, soon be 67. She said, you know, I'm going to go back to school. And she goes around and applies to a few other colleges around, and she's accepted at Sinclair Community College. And I said, well, if you're going to go back to school, I'm going to go back to school. But we don't have no money. And she's able to get grants and stuff. And, and uh, so I began to search and look, and uh, I find this, uh, I find this uh, Bible Institute. Uh, and I contacted them, and yes, they accepted me. Tuition free. All I had to do was buy my books, and uh, they would take me right in. And this was a two-year bachelor's degree program. Well, the first year of that was to completely—I mean, the first, the very first of the two years—was totally committed to the Bible. When we went through the King James Bible from Genesis one right down to the last verse in Revelation, and during that two, during that first year. I had to comment on every uh, verse of the Bible, and I had to 
uh, answer, uh, be tested on every book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, right down the line till we got finished up in Revelation. And I stepped off into the other thing where we did Christian counseling and, and all these other things that apply to the church and the ministry. And, and, and that was good. So I, I completed all that and I received my bachelor's degree. But you see, when I look back and what I found there was I learned so much more than what I had known in those years previous to all those years in the ministry, mm -hmm. you see. And it was a, a great, and, I, and it would be my recommendation to everybody that can. I mean, do the, uh, the more you learn about the Lord, the more of an education you have, and I'm not talking secular education. Right. I'm talking about being educated in the Lord and, and what he would have you do. So many people say, well, I'm doing the Lord's work. No, let me, let me, uh, and don't take this the wrong way. The Lord's work has been completed. He said on the Cal uh, at Calvary, it's finished. Mm -hmm. But our work has just begun. Yeah. Our work is to fulfill the callings that he's placed upon us and to reach those that are lost. And if we quit trying to do the Lord's work, because he's already done it, do our work. And that's what I found in and the more that I studied in, in, in those courses that I'd taken to receive my bachelor's degree, I found that there was so much that I was letting slip by. Mm. One thing I want to get into before we're out of time is I want to ask you guys, did you struggle with the truth? Well, it depends on what you mean in context. Repeat that, Mark. It depends on the context of the question you're asking. So, exactly what do you mean by the truth? So you're called. Do you struggle at that point with the truth as, as pertains to your calling? So you're called to preach, and you're processing that. Generally at young ages, uh, you're telling the church. The church is saying, you know, fantastic, and developing relationships there, starting to preach, when do you, do you formally sit down and say, this is what I believe, this is the truth, and, and search the scriptures and find those things, or do you just absorb it and grow in it? Okay. I think that is a, a very deep question, and, and each person's answer is different. All I can say of myself is when I first answered my calling and, you know, got up into the pulpit, of course, I knew about the Word or the Scriptures and what the Scriptures teach. But a lot of times, even after doing my own studying of the Scriptures, I found myself doing a lot of parroting, if that makes sense, saying things that I had heard, which weren't necessarily wrong, but not delving into the study of the word deeply enough for my own self. And as I have grown in the ministry and studied more, I have come to learn that there are some things that I grew up hearing and believing, of course, that were not necessarily biblical. Things that were taught from one pastor to another, and it was just kind of a pass-along doctrine if you uh, would want to call it that. 
So in terms of like, struggling with the truth, I would say, yeah, there was some sense of that. Give me an example of a passed along doctrine. Oh, Lord. Oh, the the greatest one and the most comical one to me was a man can't wear a pink shirt. Right. And uh, so many other silly things that were being taught in, in, in the Because that's pulpit. in the Old Testament, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we laugh about those things. But it's one thing that, that I struggle with. And it looked like you was about to come in, Jason. No, go ahead. Well, my thing, and I formally, when I'm called to preach and, and I answer the call, and I say, okay, this is, this is my life, this is what I'm going to do. I took a couple months, and because I'm, I'm going through this privately. I'm not right. standing in front of the church going through this. But as I get started, I took a couple months, and I wrestled with the question of a pass-along doctrine that I'd heard all my life that nobody ever explained. I would hear these old-timers get in the pulpit and talk about how uh, they, they would admit they still sinned. They would say, I am a sinner. Uh, but I, I'm forgiven. And then they would talk about the sinners outside the church, and they were going to hell. And my the question I struggled with was, how is that possible? How can the guy in the pulpit be a sinner, and he's going to heaven? Right. But the guy down the street is a sinner, and he's going to hell. How do I answer that question? And I need to understand that, uh, call it a doctrine. I mean, they didn't have a formal name for it, right? Right. But um, we, I needed to understand that before I stepped in and started preaching the Word of God because I didn't think they were wrong, but I didn't see how they were right either. Yeah. Uh, right. And when you search the Scripture, what they never fully explain is is that we're not perfect and we'll never be perfect on this earth but there's growth in Christ our sin is um, I don't want to say gets better over time but as we grow in Christ our uh, life changes you know we're given right uh, a new life we're born again and that's where the, the term comes from uh, so we change as people and we're on God's fight in the battle against sin. Right. Where before, you know, you're obviously welcoming the sin in your life. And therein was the difference. And once I arrived at that point through the scriptures, then and only then did did I agree to, to preach. Right. I, go ahead, brother. So for me, I had a lot of time in the Word behind bars. I had read through the Bible probably four times from cover to cover while being in jail or rehab. I had spent 13 months, six months one time, seven months another time in a Christian discipleship rehab, and actually um, about two and a half months in a uh, teen challenge when I was 19. So I had about 15 months in Christian discipleship programs when I, in between my addiction, where they were trying to help me through Christ get off of addiction. And so I had a lot of marinating time in the Word, where the Word was just in me. And uh, 
so I I don't know that I struggled with the truth. I mean, I struggle with truths like I'm going bald. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still struggling with that one. But as far as the truth of the Word of God, I don't know that I ever really struggled with it because it was in me. And like the prophet Jeremiah said, his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. Did you struggle (coughs) with the Bible? Because if you read through Billy Graham's testimonies and and autobiography, is there an autobiography? Yeah. There was a point in his ministry where he can he goes out in the woods. Am I telling this right, Mark? Right, right. He goes out in the woods and he decides at that point to accept the Bible as the Word of God. Right. And I, th- I think either consciously or subconsciously, uh, all ministers kind of do that. Right. I would agree. You, you, you get to a point where you realize uh, that the Word of God is the Word of God, as wild as that sounds. But you have to accept that, and that becomes your your truth moment. Right. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right. Okay, now, uh, if I could just jump in there for a minute, and we've talked about this before. I've had the discussion with Mark and with Kenny before about the hand-me-down messages. Mm-hmm. You know, when, we, when I was first called to preach, you, you know, like you said, we, we, we come up on their other preachers, and they would preach these messages, and I find myself falling in that same category, preaching along the same lines, maybe not the same message, but preaching the same, uh, uh, along the same lines. But then when I would begin to study and, <clears throat> and excuse me, prepare my messages, and I look into the Word, hey, these fellows are wrong. You say, how can you say that? Well, because they would only go one verse. They wouldn't just look at the verse prior and what followed. And that's where the whole truth comes out. Correct. You can take one verse and preach that and preach that if, if a woman cuts her hair, she cuts her glory and blah, blah, blah. That, that, that's wrong. That's wrong. Yeah. I'll... Because you've got to go on further into the scriptures. And I, I've, I've had them... I preach about this thing and that thing. And when I found myself on it, hey, wait a minute, Jimmy, you're wrong about this stuff. You, you, you got to search out the whole truth, mm-hmm. not just part of it. Yeah, I, I always say if you go into our church and preach about uh, women with short hair, it will not go well for you. Right. Period. Like, right. It, it, it's just... Right. And I'm not going to say anything, believe me. Um they will light the torches, sharpen the pitchforks, and they will come after you. <laughs> yes. All right. Let me ask as we wind up. We're a little over time, but I want to I want to address one last question. Uh, how did your family react? Mine wanted proof. <laughs> uh, my mom was like, "Okay, glad you've gave your life to the Lord. Let's see how long this lasts." And uh, even after I preached my first message, it was still because I had battled addiction for so long and I would have a few months here and a few months there where I would be on fire for the Lord and trying my best in my own strength. And that's where I kept stumbling. But 
in my own strength, I, w- I could make it a few months, and I'd be going to church, and I'd be on fire, and then I'd backslide. It was almost like for the first year, year and a half, my family and extended family were waiting on me to fall. Before they finally began to right. be like, okay, he really is different. He right. walks different, talks different, you know. Oftentimes when we come from a life that we would call dirty or, or not clean, often uh, we see our own family members and loved ones who will look at us and, and say, well, that can't last long. I know where he's been or I know where they've been. But we must remember that they see you outwardly. Mm-hmm. And the one who called you to preach, who called you in the first place, he doesn't see that outward appearance. He sees that inward heart, yeah. that very soul of man, that even if you've been in the lowest, deepest trenches of sinful, or uh, very sinful dirt, if you will, he can pull you out of that and redeem you. You must remember... As we're talking about this, the thing that comes to my mind, when you look in the scriptures, Jesus didn't go and call the righteous Pharisees and scribes and scholars to preach the gospel. He called the lowest down, dirty. He called those who were low down in society part of the riffraff, if you will. And he lifted them up out of their sin and out of the things that they were bound in. And called them to a new life yeah. and a life that was for him. What did Jesus have to say about it? He said, The prophet is not is without honor save in his own countrymen. Right. So, your family, okay. Now, I went down to my hometown and preached revival after I was been saved. And, you know, after my calling and many years in the ministry, you see, but people always look back and here's the family. Here's the family. I knew him when. Right. I knew him when. And we do have that struggle. But then as we begin to prove the Lord, not prove ourselves, but prove the Lord and prove his work in our lives, then they begin to see the change. And then they begin to accept. Then they begin to believe. And then, you know, that's, that, 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 that's what worked the best in my family because... I was uh, pretty much, uh, I don't use the word outcast. Uh, uh, my mother died when, uh, uh, when I was born. And uh, uh, she, and I had, uh, my brother was 12 years older than me, a sister eight years old and a, older than me, and another sister five years older than me. And they always had that resentment, always had that resentment for me because of, my my mother died, you know, and I, I don't want to say they necessarily blame me, but even my dad would shun me. He didn't want to have a whole lot to do with me. And that's how I grew up under that feeling. And it was about three years ago, I believe I might have shared this with Kenny and maybe even with Mark. I was sitting at uh, uh, the table with my sister up in line at her house. And, you know, this is long after my ministry. She finally... You know, they finally accepted the fact that I was a preacher and, and they respected that and they would even go hear me preach. But uh, we were sitting at her table and she began to relate things to me that I had, I'd, I'd never known before. And she just opened up. And I guess uh, 
I don't know if it was, uh, I, I want to look at maybe like an apologetic state, but the one come presented in that manner, but she was sitting at the table, and she began to relate to me that I had two brothers that I never knew who had died, uh, at, one died at birth, and and another lived a few hours, and he died. But I, I never knew anything about them. But she said, now, Jimmy, I'm going to tell you something about our mother. She said, your mother, the doctors asked her to abort you. Said she knew that she would die if she carried me full term, if she gave birth to me, that she was going to die. And uh, she, our, I, I was always told that my my uh, birth mother was a Christian, and I've never met her, never seen her, and, you know, uh, uh, nine hours after I was born, she died. But she said, our mother, the doctors told her that she could live if she would abort you. And she said, I'll tell you something. Our mother said, no, because if this baby is a boy, I want him to be a preacher. Hmm. And you see, uh, that, that, that shook me. I mean, this was three, three, four years back she relayed this to me. I never knew this stuff all my life. But you see, but the resentment, and, and you know our families, uh, if, if you fellas maybe never came up with that kind of resentment like my family had for me, but as the years progressed and as the, your, the Lord began to work with me through those years, that resentment began to disappear. And I never had a real relationship with my dad till after I was called into ministry. Then we really got close, and we got closer and closer and closer. And uh, I think that had something to do with my brother. Even when he died, he thanked the Lord for blessing him and getting him through and uh, like an apologetic state toward his feelings that he had for his little brother. And you see, uh, that... Uh, that was what I went through with a family. Can you ask, how did the family feel? Well, it, it, it took a while, and it does take a while. Mm -hmm. And when the change is made in a person's life, it takes a while for people to really accept that. But then you begin to see the, re, the rejection and, the, and, and all that and the resentment. It begins to disappear, and the Lord can begin to bless and bring, bring about a real genuine relationship for me my family knew my immediate family knew that I was I was studying something I was doing something and finally my mom we were driving down the road and she asked me what was what I was doing so I always like to uh, joke and give mom a hard time and I said uh, I'm studying to be a preacher I said mostly a televangelist I said it takes money to get along in this world and that's how I'm going to get it. I said, get your checkbook out and show Jesus you mean business. She said, oh, no, no, I'm not having that. And she, <laughs> she said, tell me seriously, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to be a televangelist. So she is all worked up and worried. And uh, she gets home. She calls her sister, my aunt, and says, uh, Kenny's going to told me he's going to be a televangelist. And my, if you know my Aunt Annette, she just started laughing because she knew I was kidding around. Uh, then my mother picked up the phone and called my granny. Said, oh. Kenny says he's going to be a, an evangelist, televangelist. And granny said, praise the Lord. 
So, <laughs> but you know, beyond that, once once they saw that I was, uh, you know, just joking about the televangelism thing, my immediate family was very supportive. But we did have, and I'll spare you all the the details on my extended family. On my dad's side, we had this big to do a couple months ago, and there was a lot of uh, shouting and and screaming and hollering on on their part towards me. And at one point, one of my cousin's wife said, if you want to talk about past, we can certainly talk about your past. And I thought, you know, uh, took me a second. And I told her, I said, well, I've been born again. God has done a marvelous work in my life, and we can certainly talk about my past. But the reality is you don't even really know me. Uh, since what the Lord has done uh, in my life for me, and and it it was it wasn't uh, hurtful uh, or shameful or anything, but there was just a moment where I realized that uh, these people really don't even know me uh, and what the Lord has done in His saving grace. So uh, I certainly feel both sides of the uh, the coin because you you can never quite. Unless the Lord shows it to them, I think you never shake what it is they know about you. Amen. Right. So with that, we'll Amen. we'll come to a close, and we'll encourage you if you're listening. If you need the church, reach out. Uh, let us know what you think. If you need some help, we stand here ready. We're up at 155 Vine Street in Fairborn, and we'll see you next time.